You're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Rydell. Each week, I'll bring you conversations with the most visionary humans on this earth in hopes that you'll be able to absorb their wisdom, avoid their failures, and feel less alone on the roller coaster ride that is entrepreneurship. This season, I'll be chatting with creative thinkers, masterful marketers, brick and mortar shop owners, brand builders, and people just like you who have a story to share or a vision that inspires. If I can share one quick secret with you before we get into the episode, it's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us. You know, that spark that nudges us to pursue our full potential in this lifetime. But perhaps somewhere along the line, it got covered up. I'm here to tell you that it's never too late to explore that inner voice and access the brilliance deep down inside of you. It's in you. It's in all of us. Let's dive in. In one of life's many serendipitous moments, I asked a room full of entrepreneurs if they had any suggestions for rockstar individuals that would be great guests on the Visionary Life podcast. Moments later, an email popped into my inbox from someone I had never even met that read, you should connect with Nia. With next to no context as to why I should talk to Nia, I jumped on a quick Zoom call with her and realized that her story was one I wanted to share. Nia Katri grew up in Kathmandu, Nepal, found her way to Silicon Valley to work in tech, and most recently landed in Toronto to continue her work with a company called Logitech. On top of that, she is the co-founder of a new digital connectivity platform for women that connects them with other women from around the world for mentorship and support. Above all, though, Nia is someone who is driven to succeed despite any challenges that are getting in her way. As an international minority, a person of color, a woman in tech, and a millennial, she says that she is relentless about ensuring that none of these things will ever hold her back along her journey and along her growth. Or she doesn't want this to hold anyone back in their journey. So she knows that she's if she's able to push through the ranks, then she'll be able to turn back and lend a hand to others who need her allyship and her support. I am deeply inspired and humbled by this awesome conversation, and I cannot wait to actually meet Nia in person. She talks about getting together with some friends, or maybe that was offline, getting together with friends at a park, sipping wine, and I told her, next time I'm in Toronto, we absolutely have to meet up. And this is one of the beautiful things about the podcast is that it has connected me with so many incredible human beings, incredibly inspiring and just humble individuals that I can say I'm very very honored to have gotten an hour of their time to have this conversation. So without further ado, let's get into this episode with Nia Katri, and I'll circle back on the other side in order to share a few of the lessons and the takeaways that um, really impacted me from this episode. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Nia. All right, Nia, welcome to the Visionary Life Podcast. You and I were connected by a mutual acquaintance and we had like a quick 15 minute virtual coffee date to kind of get to know each other. But just from that, I knew your story was one worth sharing just because it's relatable and you've been through a lot. So you grew up in Kathmandu, you found your way to Silicon Valley. Most recently, you landed in Toronto during a global pandemic, <laughs> which has probably been a very unique 
unique welcome to the city. Um, but I'm curious, could you give myself and our listeners kind of a brief chronological overview of the different chapters you've encountered in life thus far? Yeah, absolutely, Kelsey. Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, and thanks so much for inviting me here today. And most importantly, thank you for giving me a woman, a woman of color, a spotlight in your show. And I hope today's conversation inspires other women, aspiring leaders and aspiring entrepreneurs to just do it. Um, so I'll give you the short version. Um, I won't go back to my many geographical moves, um, but home for me is in Kathmandu, Nepal. I have not climbed Everest. I get that a lot. <laughs> Um, I then received a full scholarship to come attend uh, Colorado College, um, where I majored in mathematical economics. Um, and as stereotype proves true, as an Asian, I was good with numbers and I liked studying about economical impacts on income inequality, environment. Like I think we did about a um, couple of topics around theories of behavioral economics and took some courses on marketing and the art of negotiation. And so outside of the walls of the classroom, people saw me mostly with this gigantic camera. I think it was probably four kgs. It was this massive thing and I was lugging it around from place to place and I spent most of my time in the communications department at the school. Um, I was a school photographer. I was the person running the Instagram handle. Um, it was a very fun gig. And why I'm telling you this is that I want you to understand um, and for our viewers that I was both creative and analytical. And I was able to switch off these sides pretty seamlessly depending on what I was doing. So that was a problem because I was very split on what I wanted to do after college. I needed to decide if I wanted to apply for an analyst kind of jobs in the financial sector, or if I wanted to do something in the digital media space. And on top of that, I wanted to move to San Francisco. So at the end of the day, I realized that it was more important for me um, at that time to be in the Bay Area in the heart of Silicon Valley than the position itself. So I decided not to be too picky um, with the job and I ended up getting an offer with ADP uh, for a sales position and the rest is history. Um, I just kind of fell into sales um, with that job and currently today I've moved companies. So today I am with a different company called Logitech. So I represent the video collaboration space at Logitech. So um, yeah, it's been a wild journey. I never thought I was going to end up in a tech company, never thought I was going to do sales, um, but here I am today. Mm, I love that. What an awesome brief overview. It's so concise. So a few things that I want to double tap on there. Um, the first thing you said, like you felt split being creative and being analytical. And this is something I find so fascinating because I was chatting with a friend yesterday and she's writing a book called Words We Wear. And it's basically uh -huh. how we like tend to want to put ourselves in these boxes. And right. one thing she said to me that really um, just sparked something when you said you're both creative and analytical, she was like, you know, why can't people be a creative programmer or a creative engineer. And she's like, why not add that adjective in mm -hmm. front of the noun that you're constantly labeling yourself as? Because perhaps for many of us, we don't fit into one box. Like yeah. you're, you're both creative 
and you're analytical, but in society's mind, like you're either one or the other, you're the artist or you're the one who's behind a computer crunching data. And it's like, well, what if I'm both of those? Like, can't I be accepted for my (laughs) multi-talents, right? (laughs) Absolutely. No, and I think that's a really good point because in the tech space, especially in San Francisco, you have people coming from all walks of life. And there are some people that have your very classic technical kind of resume and they apply for the technical gig. And then if I was comparing myself with them, I would be like, well, I guess I'm too creative for this job. They are more technical, therefore they will get that job. So um, I've just realized, hey, you know what? Maybe in interviews, and as you said, and as your friend talks about in her book, maybe I should say, I am both, you know, Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am creative in the way that I look at problems. I'm an- analytical in the way that I think about the big picture and the big vision that companies have. So um, I really like that. I hope to read mm-hmm. your friend's book as well in the future. Yeah, absolutely. She's just on the cusp of like <laughs> getting it all together. And I'm like, this is so needed. So I thought it was cool that you touched on that. Um, the other question I have for you based on what you were sharing is, why did you want to move to San Francisco so badly? You said you kind of were open to any position. What was it about San Francisco that really captivated you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I had a very interesting journey to San Francisco. So that was not my first time moving to San Francisco in 2017. I had actually spent six to seven months out there um, as an intern for Logitech. So I was already... Uh, familiar with the company. I was already working for this company years ago. Um, And that kind of gave me an opportunity to uh, spend some time in a different part of the U.S. um, in understanding like what the whole buzz was about for Silicon Valley. That's where Google was. That's where Facebook was. I was a millennial. I was using all these apps and platforms. So I just wanted to see what it was like being in this bubble Um, And it was just out of curiosity. Uh, So when I moved there as an intern, I just kind of got to spend some time with very smart people. Um, There was a lot of diversity in um, age, in race, in food. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those kind of sparked my interest. And so I just thought, wow, like it doesn't really matter what job it is. If I'm in the Bay Area, I will learn so much from being surrounded by all these multi-talented people from all around the world. So that was the main drive and reason for me to apply for a job um, in San Francisco after I finished completion of my uni. So cool. It's almost like you just wanted to be like absorbing by osmosis, like just by being in a room full of people who are visionary and talented and who are probably better than you in many regards and different aspects of their life. Like you're basically absorbing all of that and you're being exposed to all these new ways of thinking and opportunities. And it makes you realize like how limitless you are as an individual too, when you see everybody else kind of chasing their dreams and following their hearts. Yeah. And it was more of the collaborative atmosphere, which I absolutely loved. And so I was, you know, doing a lot of networking events during that time. I was at dinner parties, I went to restaurants, and everybody was just so curious. Everybody had a story to share. And it's funny, because in San Francisco, nobody's really from San Francisco. They've come from other parts in the US, 
from other countries. So it's like the melting pot where you kind of put in so much diversity and kind of see what cooks out of it, right? In terms of innovation. Mm. Um, so I just really wanted to be in the pick of it all. And as to your point, I just, I feel like I am always learning and I'm always curious. So I consider mm. myself a sponge. Yeah. And I just wanted to kind of be the sponge in Silicon Valley. Mm, I love that. And I always think about the word curious and just the character trait of curiosity. And I often think like, is that the secret to life? Because nowadays there is somebody who knows the secret or the answer to anything you could possibly want to know. And I think that just having that curiosity and approaching life with the like, ooh, who has the answer to my problem might be how we reach that next level or get the answers to the challenges that we've been plagued by, right? Because right. it's not always about, okay, how do I figure this out? Like that's curiosity, but it's like, who do I know that already has the keys to the kingdom? And if you're curious right. enough to ask them or to find out who has the answers, maybe that's the way we could accomplish big things. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I think that is important. Um, I, that's something that I tell, um, the future generation of Colorado college graduates. Um, I'm very involved in the mentorship program within the college. So that's something that I tell them. I said, Hey, like education just doesn't end after, you know, after college, it just exactly. kind of keeps on going and I'm still learning. And that's kind of put mm -hmm. me in the position of, um, being successful because I'm curious, because I'm eager to learn, I raise my hand and it just kind of shows that, oh, she is interested. I think she is excited about this opportunity. Let's ask her if she wants to do this. Let's ask her if she would like to be considered this job opportunity. So it's just kind mm -hmm. of allowed me to, or opened many doors for me, just being curious, right? And that's mm -hmm. a soft skill, like that requires zero dollars, right? In terms of that. having that, um, it just opens so many doors. So I just push a lot of young graduates from school and from other walks of life to just be curious, just to learn, ask questions, right? Because mm -hmm. um, it kind of helps set you apart from other people. Yeah, and it's a good reminder that like, we don't have to be interesting as people in order to advance. We just need to be interested, right? Like yeah. I don't need to be, I'm not an interesting person, right? But I am the most curious. I am the most interested. I don't want to be the center of the tension. I want to ask someone <laughs> else and like get them to stand on their pedestal and tell me everything they know so I can sponge it up, like you said, and absorb their wisdom. So yeah, right. I think there's definitely a lot to that. And it's a great reminder to, you know, approach life with that sense of curiosity. Absolutely. So while you were at Colorado College, you helped launch a startup that provides a smartphone-based platform to help small businesses in Africa to improve inventory management. <laughs> it's a mouthful. So I'm curious, can you tell us about that platform that you launched um, and where the idea came from for this business? Sounds good. Yeah, so the platform that Kelsey is alluding to is called Ogugu. Mm -hmm. um, and so while at CC, um, Colorado College, um, I was one of the found founders for this platform. Um, and essentially, it is a startup that provides a smartphone-based platform to help small businesses in Africa to improve their inventory management. 
Um, so since then, I've kind of taken a step back from the day-to-day involvement um, of this company, um, but I am still part of the bigger idea and visions and meetings. But essentially, it is a platform that uses QR codes um, and allows for micro-enterprise business owners in this specific region to track their inventory from sales, revenue, and kind of move away from the manual labor. So do platforms like this exist? Is this a crazy, brilliant idea? No, it's not, right? Like there are platforms that exist. I think QuickBooks is one of the biggest platforms that we see today that a lot of businesses in the retail space use. We were specifically helping a very small community in a very niche market. So when you kind of travel and go to developing nations, you know, they don't really have the Walmarts. They don't really have Farm Boy. They don't really have Rexel, right? So mm-hmm. there, are, there are these really tiny, small, almost like a very, like a 10 by 10 small um businesses and they you know they sell coca-cola they sell like shampoo they sell bread and when you kind of look at how they manage their inventory it's all manual they literally look at what they have in the store they hire a high school person to do their books and then that causes a lot of inefficiencies right so we were trying to help them um and there wasn't really a product like that in the marketplace. Um, And the reason why it was Tanzania was because one of the co-founders is from there. Mm -hmm. And he dealt with the struggles of inventory management himself um, with his family. Um, There was another co-founder who was from uh, South Africa. His dad has a tool shop, also is dealing with the same problems. And I was from Nepal, so I'm also dealing with the same problems. So these are like very specific Uh, developing nation problems that we were trying to solve for. Um, And so that's where the idea came from. That's where the passion to help came from. Um, And we had a competition called The Big Idea. We wanted to raise our first um, seed capital. Uh, We came third place, um, but the cash prize was about $15,000. And that was a lot of money to take back to Tanzania, right? Because that's a lot of money. Like even $100 is a lot of money. Yeah. So we were able to use that money to officially start and launch a Gugu out there. Um, and then a very soon after that, um, a, uh, you know, a local incubator kind of wanted to partner with us. So we just said, you know, we, we don't know how to like scale this. We just had this idea. We'd love to partner with somebody else that does it better. So why don't you guys take the reins and then we will kind of support you from the finance standpoint. So we've kind of let them run with it so far. Coming up, I continue my conversation. We'll be right back. Stay with us. A quick word from our premier sponsor of the Visionary Life podcast, and that is Healthy Planet. If you are a health nut like me, you're going to love that you can save money on the brands you already purchased by ordering online from Healthy Planet. They love our visionary community and want to support all of us in living our best lives. So you can shop at Healthy Planet entirely online and products will be dropped at your doorstep within just a few days. It's so easy, so convenient, and that gives you no excuse to say it's really hard to eat healthy because it's not. So treat your body, your mind, and your business with 
with the fuel it deserves from Healthy Planet. You can shop by department, dietary need, or even just check out the sale rack. It's such an efficient way to ensure you're stocked up on all your favorite health goods all of the time. Use code VISIONARY10 at checkout to save on your Healthy Planet order. That's VISIONARY10 at checkout. This is the Visionary Life Podcast. Welcome back. Let's get into the conversation once again. So cool and such an amazing thing to have done during your time in college. I'm curious, what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned in starting this incredible company? So I was 21 years old and I thought I had the coolest idea (laughs) (laughs) because I, you know, we came third place. We also shortly um, got accepted to the Clinton Global Initiative. Um, And soon after that, we were also accepted by the Obama Foundation program. So we had a lot of um, recognition, right? Not just from our community, but from the, you know, the startup space. And so I just thought, wow, like this is going to be so easy, so much fun because we have all this recognition and support. So I think this will just take off. And I was so wrong. (laughs) Um, because it was hard, right? Like I think success is never final. Um, you just have to keep on reinventing yourself and reinventing the product until it's perfect and it's still not perfect. Right. So I think that was the biggest lesson we learned that success is never final. You just have to keep on working on itself. Um, and the second thing was we were trying to solve a problem in a country that we were not living in currently. Right. And yes, you know, we had ties and roots to Nepal. He, my co-founder, Harvey, has ties and roots to Tanzania because that's where he's from. Mm -hmm. But we were all in the U.S. and we were trying to solve this problem that was not in the U.S., but using the resources and talent from the U.S. So that was a learning lesson for all of us where we said, we just can't do that. It's very unfair. We need local support. We need, um, you know, local, regional marketing efforts, we need local folks to help us build us from the ground up. Um, And as much as we wanted to keep our full time jobs in the US and do that, you know, we just knew that that was not going to be great for the company to scale. Mm -hmm. We just said, you know what, for us to be successful for this company to be successful, you need local initiatives, you need local ownership, we are not there, who can we reach out to to do that. So that was part of the learnings. And that's why we reached out to the incubator, uh, because they're local, right? They understand the marketplace, and yep. they can um, help us. So mm-hmm. that was the second important learning that I've realized. And so do you still have any involvement in the company itself? Not today. So I've definitely taken a seat, you know, a step back. Um, I am part of the board. Um, I still don't know what that means from a legal (laughs) standpoint. (laughs) I have no idea what that means. Um, I don't know if I need to like lawyer it up. I have no idea. But, um, you know, because in terms of the contract with Incubator, they are just kind of taking... Uh, this project fully and so where they use us is just on the long-term goals and making sure that we have the same goals and are aligned in that 
So I'm still part of those conversations, but we have that like on a yearly basis, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and my friend that I was telling you about who is from there has moved back to Tanzania since then. Oh, cool. So I feel, you know, way better knowing that he's actually there and helping this company grow or evolve to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was a mobile platform with QR codes because uh, my friend um, had a background in ComSci. I was doing the marketing branding. And then now it's turned into something else um, where we are also 3D printing scales. Um, that's the most I can tell you about. So okay. as you can, so that's what I meant. Success is never final. Like, I mean, yeah. I never thought I was going to be 3D printing scales. But essentially with that does is that it helps manage inventory at the end of the day and whatever you weigh on the scale kind of digitally gets transferred to the platform the mobile platform so a lot has happened since then yeah yeah and then obviously after finishing up um at colorado college that's when you started your career in san francisco and have worked for a couple companies since then and you know i know one of the things that you are quite passionate about is kind of bringing to light some of the challenges that women or female identified humans face in a male dominated tech world. (laughs) And I'm assuming, you know, both in this startup that you helped to launch and then in your first couple, um, career paths in the Bay area in San Francisco, it would have been quite male dominated. Am I correct in saying that? Absolutely. It is. And the statistics shows that, right? Um, Okay. Also it's male dominated and something that is of a personal interest to me in solving is more representation of women, more representation of people of color, um, all in different levels within the organization, right? Something that a lot of tech companies say um, is that they say they have a diverse workforce and then you kind of look at their organization chart and they do have a diverse workforce for their entry-level positions. But when you kind of move up, it's all white male. Interesting. Right? So um, mm-hmm. I just want to hold these companies accountable um, and also be part of that change. Now that I am a woman, a person of color in a leadership role, I want to make sure that I pave the path for the next generation of a woman in people of color because others had done that for me too, right? So I'm always kind of reaching out, networking with other folks so that I can expand my network beyond the white male colleagues, right? Yes. Um, so that when I think about people, I automatically think about this person, this woman, right? As opposed yep. to my male colleague from X network. So I'm trying to change that, right? So that's the personal like initiative that I'm doing, but that's what I'm seeing in the workplace as well. Um, And then um, on top of that, you have women, you have a person of color, and then um, you have an international, right, Mm. minority. So sometimes in some conversations, I'm one of three. In some conversations, I'm two of three. And in some conversations, I'm all three. I am the only woman. I am the only international. I'm the only woman of color. And then um, I'm sometimes also the only millennial. Yes. So it it kind of shows that I have all these 
um, in my back pocket. And I just want to use that to differentiate myself in that room. Mm. Um, and so, um, yeah, so that's, I'm just kind of embracing my unique strengths and cultural resources, right. And bring mm-hmm. and help bring new perspectives and ideas that have value and are specific to my experience to those conversations so that maybe it shakes up the conversations for my management and their management to do something about it. Right. Um, I so that. hopefully that answers your question and kind of, um, the culture out there in Silicon Valley in the Bay area. It's amazing to hear that you're willing to kind of bring that game changer attitude and not just sit back and be like, well, I guess these are factors that work against me. And, you know, where my brain goes is that that takes a certain degree of confidence, right? To be Mm -hmm. able to say, instead of seeing these as characteristics that might hold me back, like I'm going to still bring them to light and prove that like, these are things that actually make me very qualified to rise up through your ranks. Where does that confidence come from? Did you always have it within you? Um, good question. Where did that confidence come from? (laughs) Um, I think it's funny because, um, You know, I, when I think about goals and what I want to achieve in life personally and professionally, um, you know, I want to make sure that I get to those goals and because I'm so driven by those numbers, because again, it's my rational analytical brain telling me, um, I put that, like, I kind of create this internal pressure almost, which sometimes is good, but sometimes also drives me to kind of get that no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that hustle and because, um, you know, I moved continents um, to get here, I just want to keep on moving forward, right? I just don't, like, I've achieved so much and I yeah. just take a step back and I'm like, wow, like, came from this teeny tiny little country and then moved to Colorado, then moved to San Francisco. And then now like moving to Canada, like I've done so much and I'm still so young. So I was able to do that because I was confident, but also because I knew I had so much more to like learn and prosper to. So it's just kind of looking forward that enables me to be very confident, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And as I said, something that's very close to me is paving the path for the future generation of women, um, for the future generation of minorities in the space that I'm working. So if I need to do that, if I want to do that for them, I need to be in a certain level in a certain position. Right. Um, So I think that kind of drives me towards wherever I'm trying to achieve. I think that's amazing. And I do think I'm sure your confidence Uh, it's only gotten greater over time. Like with each move that you made, with each new job or opportunity that you said yes to, and then showing up for it and proving to yourself, like I did this, that builds confidence, right? It's each time we do the thing we say we're going to do that gives us that internal confidence to say, well, if I was able to get on that plane and move confidence, Uh, move continents, then who knows what else I'm capable of. And sometimes it's just following through on the promises you make to yourself or uh, believing in what you're capable of that gives you that confidence uh, to continue building on top of. Absolutely. And then to add to that, I have the whole immigration, um, 
obstacle, right? It's something that I've always dealt with because I was an immigrant in the U.S. Uh, right. because I was born in Nepal. So I moved to the U.S. Um, with, you know, with my Nepali passport. So I was always kind of characterized as like an immigrant, like not a permanent resident, right? And yeah. so those have their own obstacles in the workplace um, where uh, your visa and your work permit kind of holds you back from getting um, the same opportunities as someone else who's maybe born from born there. So that's also been a driving force for me, Um where, you know, one of the main reasons why I came to Canada was immigration. Like, I kind of talked to my management and I said, hey, immigration kind of seems to be a little uncertain here. What can I do? What can you do to help me um, where I stay with the company, but maybe leave the U.S. because immigration is not working in my favor. And then my management um, has been so awesome. And I'm also very privileged to have management like that, that have my back, where they mm -hmm. said, let's look at an opportunity in Canada. It's a step it's a step up for what you are doing. And it allows you to do, you know, all these different things and more and also expand your um you know, knowledge on how we do things as a global business. How about that? Right. But it was. And so for a lot of people that don't know my immigration story, they were like, oh, how lucky that you got this promotion um, right. and an opportunity to move to Canada. And I said, yeah, it was actually because of immigration. So in a way, immigration has also helped me become more successful and be more resilient and adaptable for change. Right. Yep. Because it's pushing me towards thinking about long term. OK. Right. Like I can't do this, but what can I do now? so that I don't have to worry about this immigration status in three years. So I'm always planning for the future to make sure that, A, um, I have a long-term goal within that country and I'm able to stay in that country. And B, if I don't have that option to stay in that country, what can I do now? So it prepares me and the company in two years' time, one year's time to make the move and transfer me to another part, right? Mm -hmm. So that's always also um, something that I always have to think about on top of just what a normal like late 20 person needs to think about in terms of, you know, their professional career trajectory. Like I need to think, be thinking about immigration as well. Absolutely. It's a whole other layer on top of the already demanding workload yeah. that I'm sure you have. <laughs> and, you know, I it kind of makes me think you said you have a really supportive management team and people who you can have these conversations with. But I do think, too, it reminds me of a quote that uh, I think they say, like, your life gets exponentially better with every hard conversation that you have. And it sounds like you've had to have these hard conversations of like, this isn't working. Like I need to find something else and to speak up for yourself and right. really be an advocate on behalf of the career and the future that you want for yourself. And I'm sure those conversations aren't easy to have, but uh, to have the courage to actually say like, I'm looking to move up or I need to move out of the U.S. because of immigration. Um, I just applaud you for being able to speak your Thank truth you. and to look out for yourself because I think I know I learned during my time in the corporate world that nobody cares <laughs> about your career path and your trajectory as much as you do. So it's important right. to speak up when you know you need something. Yeah, no, I have been trying, I have been proactively cultivating these networks, right? With management, with different peers in the company, 
uh, folks from outside company because they can offer yep. me a fresh perspective, right? Um, yeah. And all of these people, um, peers, mentors, has been supporting my growth, right? Um, and I know that I can't necessarily, as you said, rely on um, these existing networks to provide me with like everything I need to grow and develop, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I need to always think about what is important for me. It comes down to that, right? Like, what do you yeah. want to do? Um, and how do you leverage these networks to get to help you get to the next level? So they are important, mm-hmm. but to your point, I think you need to kind of be on the driver's seat and kind of push yourself to the next level. So I totally agree with what you're saying as well. Mm-hmm. And speaking of being in the driver's seat of your own life, uh, this year, you actually, outside of your corporate work, decided to begin a community where you're supporting and guiding women to succeed in their professional workspaces, particularly because you said you've had many women leaders do the same for you. So you launched a company called Six Feet Closer. So I'm curious... Can you tell us about this incredible project that you're now pouring into and really where the idea came from? Absolutely. So the six feet closer name came from having to be having to stand six feet apart from people because of COVID. So it's funny, right? And it's kind of ironic as human beings, we are with COVID, we are kind of lonely but because we are human beings, we're all collectively lonely. We are, we share that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that has been something like a theme this year. Uh, you're not lonely together. We're all in this together, right? Um, and so with six feet, you're like, oh, you have to be six feet apart. But I was like, oh, but I really want to be six feet closer to you technically. But with the COVID yeah. restrictions, I can't. So that's where we kind of uh, teased around with the name. Um, And so that's where the name came from. Um, But where should I even start? So the pandemic hit and it was March of 2020. My really good friend who's also from Nepal and the co-founder, Shaibia, she reached out and said, hey, are you seeing your friends, friends of friends reach out to you because they've lost their jobs and they're in a state of panic? are you seeing that? She had asked me and I said, yes, I'm starting to see that. Not a lot, but I'm starting to uh, see a lot of people reach out and see if Logitech was hiring at that time, if I knew a recruiter that was looking to hire new grads. So I was beginning to see that. And so was she. So within 24 hours, we said, hey, I think we can leverage our own networks in the Bay Area for me and New York for her and link up all these people that are needing help with our own folks in our network. And maybe someone somewhere will have a job. Maybe someone somewhere needs this person. So we were just trying to play Cupid. That was Mm -hmm. the goal. And um we just created a Google spreadsheet. Um, we created a URL and we passed that along to folks that were reaching out to us. And what had happened was that link got reshared in so many different networks and groups. Um, and we had about 550 people sign up in five days. <laughs> And then we went, uh, we were looking at the list of people that had signed up, thinking that maybe it was somebody that we knew, like second degree. But 
we hardly knew half the people that had signed up and we said, wow, word of mouth, eh? And just kind of um, that led us to think, oh, maybe there is more to this. Maybe we should create, maybe for like the COVID purposes, we should create some kind of website. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, uh, continue helping these women and link them up. So we, with the 500 people, we spent the next two weeks in just linking them up uh, with people that they could be good fits with from a mentor perspective. So we were trying to create mentee-mentor relationships uh, and being very personal, right? Because unlike an app, like there were two girls that kind of had looked at your description, what you were looking at. They had looked at your LinkedIn, they had looked at your resume. And so we were manually making these connections, right? We also gave mentees, those that were seeking help, um, the option to say, oh, I don't think the mentor that you selected for me works. Can you provide me with somebody else? So mm -hmm. we were doing a lot of manual work and that required a lot of time and effort. And so our team grew, we had to hire people. So we hired four or five people um, and they were also spread across the world. So we had myself in the Bay Area, Shabia was in New York and had just moved to the UK. We had another person from the UK and there was one from India somebody from Nepal and couple of folks in the US as well. So we had a team of seven people at the end of summer. Um, and it kind of turned into this digital platform to connect women from across the world, share stories and experiences. Um, and so we were just very mindful of like reaching out to people that were just normal, just like you and me, Kelsey, like I did not want to reach out to the CEO of some company in Silicon Valley, I just wanted to yeah. give a voice and platform to women to share their stories so that it could inspire other women um, and take little bits of tips and tricks on how they got there, how they started, what they started, what it was like working in a tech company, what it was like um, dealing with imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. In the tech world, what it was like being a, um, what did we do? Like beauty pageant runner up. So just like normal people, normal women, we wanted to share their stories and experiences. So that kind of became a digital platform. Now we offer mentorship um, three times a year instead of what we did early on. Um, and we also had to scale back and say, okay, well, we can't really pair everyone in the world. Let's just be really good at the mentorship program and really offer that to you know 20 to 30 people and spend some time in doing that and learn from our mistakes, get some feedback and make it really good so that we can maybe offer that mentorship program in another part of the world, right? So that's kind of like in the future. Um, but yeah, so that's six feet closer in a nutshell. Um, again, from my first uh, experience in starting the company Agugu, success is never final. So I don't know and I don't think we have the final product. Um, I think the future looks pretty bright for Six Feet Closer. We have some app ideas. We have, we are talking to, um, you know, uh, some software engineers, UX, UI experts to really kind of help us get to this next level. So mm -hmm. again, the main goal is to help women, right, from across the world and to push them to think about allyship, right? You need an advocate, you need a supporter in your life. Let that be multiple women, right? 
um, so that you can learn from them and you can also do the same for other women um, that kind of reach out to you so that we're really kind of pushing this idea because for us we do the same right where I'm always reaching out to other women yeah in helping me in my personal and professional goals so I want others to do the same because I've gotten so much out of it right mm-hmm. so um, that's just kind of that's just how it started that's where we are today um, and to recap we don't know what it looks like in the next year mm-hmm. but we know that it will be in still in this space around allyship mentorship and a connectivate platform coming up I continue my conversation we'll be right back stay with us have you been feeling a bit lost Confused on your next steps? Curious about what it would be like to start an online business and work for yourself? Well, the Visionary Method is a seven-step framework and accountability system that will help you to start making money and stop procrastinating the life you're here to live. We've helped hundreds of people just like you to make their first 50,000 in their online business by packaging up the skill sets that they already have inside of them. So visit KelseyRidal.com and click on the work with me tab. If you want to learn more, we would love to get on a call with you and see if the visionary method is the right fit for you. Again, KelseyRidal.com. Just click the work with me tab and learn more about the visionary method. This is the visionary life podcast. Welcome back. Let's get into the conversation once again. And I love that what you're doing is trying to normalize this allyship and mentorship, because I think um, some of us grew up with a, you just need to figure everything out yourself and like, yeah. just keep your blinders on. Don't ask for help, like swallow your pride and just yeah. do it. Whereas I know for me, like the greatest leaps in my life have been because I've had people who have given me great advice or who have acted as mentors to me or who I've felt comfortable enough to ask the hard questions or to say, you know, where am I going in my career? Or could you give me some guidance as to what you did in this kind of messy middle phase? And so um, I would wish that upon every woman is that she could have somebody to guide her if that's what you want, in fact. So I love that you're normalizing that. And, you know, another thing that I think it's important to recognize is that you started this with a simple Google spreadsheet and (laughs) I, I don't know, a link to the spreadsheet. Like I know for a lot of the listeners, It's funny because I chat with a lot of our listeners and they say, I just want to create like a community of women or women identified individuals who want to share or like minded people. And, you know, this goes to show that you can do that without making things super complicated. Of course, in your case, getting 500 responses, you had to think, okay, what's that next level that we need to launch? But sometimes it is as simple as just creating one space where everyone can gather, everyone can leave their name and the rest is kind of history and things start to unfold from there. So I love that you didn't hide behind the scenes and try to make this perfect business plan before offering this uh, incredible community to the people in your life. Yeah, I think in a way we have to now work backwards, right? Because we didn't have a name, we didn't have a website, we had an idea during the pandemic because there was a need and we wanted to, you know, fill that gap. 
and we thought it was a temporary solution because a lot yeah. of women specifically were impacted during the job loss uh, phase, right? During March, April timeframe. So we saw that yeah. uh, firsthand and we just thought, why not be helpful? Why not use our time and network to help people during this very difficult period? And we were fortunate and very privileged to have had our jobs um, at that yeah. time. So we had all these extra amount of time and resources to do something, right? So, um, yeah, mm -hmm. just finding the space to support your growth. And yeah. And I mean, I think there's two philosophies when building a product or service. Like some people say build it and they will come. So it's like you don't even really test the market. You just spend all this time and energy creating this platform. And then hopefully when you launch it, people are interested. But I, what I see with what you and your co-founder did was you actually kind of approached it the opposite way. It's like you didn't really build anything, but you put out version one or like beta test and there was all this interest, and then you go, oh, there's an opportunity here. Like, we we could create something that I'm certain now a lot yeah. of people would benefit from, because you already had 500 uh, raised hands saying, right. I'm interested in this, right. right? And it was both. I think there were, with the 500, I think majority of them were uh, women that were wanting help, needed guidance and support, and, some of them were mentors saying, this is a great initiative. How can I, how can I help? Right. So mm -hmm. we were able to attract both people. There were a lot of people that wanted to help and there were a lot of people that needed help. And so we just wanted to create this platform where we could help both parties. Mm -hmm. If somebody's kind of listening to this conversation right now and they want to get involved or learn more about Six Feet Closer, like how can they be part of this movement you're creating? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our website is called sixfeetcloser.com um, and we do have a contact us page so you can provide us um, any feedback that you might have because we're still learning. We're still in the infancy stage. But if you want to mm -hmm. help as a mentor, be part of the team, you can just kind of write that in the subject line and then one of us will respond to it. Uh, we are very active in social media, both in LinkedIn and in Instagram. So the handles are six feet closer for them as well. So you can give us a follow and be part of our journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll link all of that in the show notes for people to go dive in and to really understand the movement that you're creating. So now let's shift, shift gears a little bit. I kind of want to ask you some personal questions because, you know, for starters, I feel like you've accomplished more at this point in your life than many people could imagine accomplishing in their entire <laughs> life. Like it's really incredible to see, you know, just the trajectory and all the different milestones that you've reached. So I'm curious, like, what drives you and how do you stay inspired? <laughs> how do I stay inspired? I think, I mean, it just comes back to what we've been kind of touching on, um, which is, you know, seeking out people um, on the, like the margins of like any organization and find different ways to both include them in conversations and bring their names to other conversations in which they might not otherwise have been mentioned. So for me, that's important because I want to change that, right? I, we kind of talked about allyship, mentorship in Silicon Valley, in the tech space, 
where I feel like I'm marginalized and I would love mm -hmm. to have my name be brought up in conversations and management and senior leadership, right? And over yeah. time, I'm confident that I will get to that position so that I could do the same and serve that purpose for the next generation. So that's yeah. what drives me. Um, and I think it's just, you know, having grown in Nepal, um, a developing nation where opportunities are limited and more limited for women, I now have all these opportunities and platforms to do what I really want to do, right? Which would have not been possible without my network and how I got here. So I want to kind of keep reminding myself that it was such a long journey. Um, and then there's so much more to do because in hindsight, if I was still at home in Nepal, my life would have been so different. So okay. in kind of thinking about that journey, it helps me inspire um, and achieve more. So I think that's just two folds for me. Um, my Love journey, that. my personal journey to have come all this way uh, to Canada now, and then um, just helping the future generation um, to be, you know, to be more uh, involved in these conversations. Mm-hmm. I love that. And with all of the moving around that you've done, you're obviously quite adaptable as an individual and um, seem to have found joy and happiness no matter where you've landed, which yeah. I think a lot of people struggle with. Uh, they kind of end up in a new place and, you know, they, they don't know how to produce the joy in their life uh, <laughs> without maybe their family or their friends around. I'm curious, do you have any kind of tips or tricks for finding joy no matter where you're at in the world? Um, I would say just because um, of just who I am and how I'm built, I thrive in social environments. I thrive in being part of those larger, you know, conversations with many people. Yeah. Um, and of course, I also enjoy my alone time and downtime. Yeah, a balance. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. But because I'm because I seek these communities. Um, it's just, you know, when you seek it, I think you get it. And so for me, um, I have just been um, looking at different ways when I moved to Canada where um, I could potentially meet other people in this space. So yeah. for me, it's about um, seeking out communities in places that um, you have certain interests in. So yeah. one of the ways to do so is, you know, in, lo in your own local communities, um, there might be some events, um, there might be book clubs, there yep. might be, um, you know, in urban areas, they have this whole drink wine and cook with us kind of um, yep. events. So if you're interested in that, go for it, because you're going to find somebody who's also going to be part of those events that came there to meet people like you right so you're yeah. just trying to find like-minded individuals at the end of the day so mm -hmm. just finding those communities um is important and so i've found that in um areas of my interest right like we i was able to find people um that share the same values as me in terms of you know disrupting the tech space and just kind of going to those events i found people that were also there um and then one of my friends in canada like i think in from canada told me to check out the world of bumble bff and i was like this is so weird like really and they said you just moved during the global pandemic 
and we're all shut down, how else are you going to make friends, right? Yeah. But it was so important for me to like meet people because I just, I, I was like, there is no alternative. I have to do that. So I even tried that. I even- And how did it go? Yeah. And I, it was great. I have now three friends, three girlfriends that came from that app as well. Um, yeah. I would have never done that. I don't know if I will ever do that unless we, you know, go, uh, we are in like another global pandemic again, but it was the same situation. I put myself out there because it was a global pandemic. I was trying to find girlfriends during this time when it was so difficult to connect and, you know, go to these local events that I was talking to you about, which I normally do uh, if we weren't in the pandemic. And then these girls were practically there because of the same thing. They were like, we've never used this app we this was the last resort and we thought there were going to be people that had moved to the city and also trying to find and cultivate genuine like relationships and friendships so i think it worked out so just reaching out to like your local networks and communities uh, will help you and become adaptable in different areas I love that you suggest that because I think, you know, we live in the 21st century and now more than ever, it is easy to connect digitally with people. Yes, it still feels a little bit weird to be logging on to Bumble or Instagram and meeting friends. But hey, I mean, when that's one of our only options, I think, you know, it is a great way to seek out like minded people or to be part of clubs or communities because, that's what they're created for. It's social networking, right? Yeah, it, it, it is weird though. Like Kelsey, it was very weird. weird in swiping left yeah. and right on people that you could potentially be friends with. Oh my god! So, you know, I was like, cause the UX UI was exactly the same for Bumble BFF as it was for Bumble dating. So there was okay. nothing different about moving the platform to BFF. I said, Oh my gosh, like, what if I swipe left on my potential BFF in Toronto? Like, what if, you know, how weird? Yeah. So that was the weird part. And I'm very glad that I was able to do that. Because as I said, I now have three girlfriends um, from this platform. um, And they share the same feelings and thoughts as well, because we connected over wine, because that's was yep. easy why not uh, we connected in a park because one of the girls said hey listen um i don't know how to do this i've never done this do you guys yeah. just all want to like come to a park and you know we can have a picnic and it'll be like a cool networking event almost yeah. and so that was a great icebreaker that she suggested um because it kind of helped us um calm our nerves and come to this social gathering and that's yeah. something that i was used to right because i was going to all these other gatherings and it was practically the same setup. So I think past the swiping, it gets easier for anybody who's interested in Bumblebee. (laughs) Absolutely. And you know what? I can totally relate to that because I moved to a town outside of Toronto about six months ago. And I was like, well, like, I don't really know anyone here. I'm going to need to find people with shared interests because I'm social and like, I, I want to be doing things with others. So I used a Facebook group and I basically put up like one of those weird posts that's like, Hey, I love road riding. I ride at this pace. I like to go out on, you know, weekday mornings. And to my shock, I had people respond being like, Hey, I'm also new to the city. Would love to get out on a ride with you. And 
Um, I just think sometimes being very blunt about what you want and yeah. like, let's go it drink wine right? together. It <laughs> helps. And, uh, you know, I think we thrive in communities of others. So we just need to get a little more creative these days. Absolutely. I love that. Now I was creeping your LinkedIn profile, uh, and it says, you know how to make the best chai latte. So I thought before <laughs> I let you go, I could pick your brain on how do we possibly make the best chai latte? Because I know I'm certainly very curious um yeah so chai in india chia in nepal so essentially everybody drinks chai or chia um, in south asia and so i've always kind of grown up with um having four to five uh glasses of chai in the morning four to five yeah just like (laughs) it's it's so normal like i I, I don't think I prioritized breakfast as much. It was just so normal. Like you wake yeah. up at like six thirty seven, and then your mom like makes the first, you know, pot of chai. And then after the 6.30 a.m. wave, like with breakfast, you have your second and then three more glasses before lunch. <laughs> and then after lunch, because you eat rice, you're so full and you're kind of sleepy. So you have chai again so that you're yeah. not asleep. So it was always part of like my life and my upbringing. So it was very difficult, as you can imagine, moving to the wet, uh, to the U.S. and now to Canada, where coffee is the staple, right? And uh, chai is served in Starbucks and these coffee joints. So when I first went to Starbucks, I was so excited to see chai in their menu. I was like, oh my gosh, oh, like they no. have chai, and yes, it was horrendous i could not believe this like sugar syrup (laughs) i was looking at my friend and she was like isn't this so good and i was like no it's trash like oh my gosh like this is not chai latte let me go back to my house and make you chai latte because she was the one who told me that they serve chai anyway so um the secret is that you need black leaves and you need black tea um and I would say those loose black tea leaves that you can get at Bulk Barn is yeah. awesome. It does the job. Um, so we actually boil chai leaves in water and we pour in milk. And I would suggest using 2%. Um, I would not suggest using oat milk or almond milk. But if that's <laughs> the only milk that you can drink, go for it. It's not going to be the same experience or taste. Um, and then the secret is the spices. We actually put black pepper, okay. cardamom, and ginger. Mm. And you strain it and you have a great cup of chai. Wow. <laughs> so are you putting like whole black pepper kernels? Yes, or... I am. You can, yeah, you can do corns, both. You could do both. You could like use your you could grinder. Grind it up yeah, too. Exactly. Um, and then obviously sugar is the last bit. Um, depending on your taste, right? In South Asia, they put heaps of sugar. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that can be, you know, that can be a problem later on in life. So I would say be mindful of your sugar. Uh, but there are now all these sweeteners and, you know, uh, sugar alternatives that you can use. Uh, but yeah, the it just really comes down to those spices that just makes a really good cup of chai. So when you mm. and I meet Kelsey, I will make you one. Not a problem. hundred percent. I'm very much looking forward to having <laughs> your chai because I bet if I made it, it wouldn't taste nearly as good, but I will try for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think the main thing is whatever you get in Starbucks, that is not chai. That's not chai. Come up with yeah. a new name. 
(laughs) (laughs) Totally agree. All right. Few rapid fire questions before I let you go. What is the best book you've read in the past year? The best book. So when you say this past year, or do you mean, um, like it could be like in the last 12 months, last two years, like a book that you're like, darn, that was good. And I would highly suggest other people. I would recommend the book thinking fast and slow. It's a awesome book that is recommended by a lot of senior leaders in different companies and from different positions of power. Everyone that I've spoken to has recommended this book for me. Um, It's really interesting. It talks about uh, overcoming your biases and how our brain thinks about things. Uh, Hmm. It can really help you train um, on how you make decisions. And I think we all need that. (laughs) Love it. I will definitely link that in the show notes. What is your favorite way to wind down after a long work week or whenever you're ready to give yourself a break from your many projects? Um, I think uh, since the pandemic, um, it's been um, being able to leave the house, pop on a podcast and go for a very long walk. So yep. I usually um, walk towards the waters um, mm. to the lake or I kind of work walk around uh, Bloor or the university campus area. It's so pretty. So that's just been a great uh, way of unwinding Um, or a workout. Like I work out at home. Uh, I just realized the gyms will probably open in 2025 at this point. (laughs) So, you know, initially when when the pandemic started, I was like, okay, you know what? I won't feel that bad for working out. Um, In three months, the gyms will open. I'm going to go there. And that never really happened, right? So I was like, okay, just pick up the weights, just work out. Like, this is not going to change. So mm-hmm. I just find um, that as a huge stress buster, right? So mm-hmm. I like working out. <laughs> I love it. And you know what? Toronto has the best fitness studios ever. So, really? like, as soon as. I will never it- know, Kelsey. <laughs> you you will know hopefully in I don't know how many months but like I just oh, I loved bouncing around to all the incredible studios and instructors and types of classes like that is what brought me so much joy on a Saturday morning is to yeah. meet a friend go to a class go to a studio I had never right. explored before and yeah I, I miss that <laughs> are you still able to do that um, when you know having left Toronto or do you need to no, find I mean, another set of gyms and studios out there Yeah. You know what? Where I live now, it's so small that there is just one yoga studio and then a couple like box gyms. So that's why I'm going to be making a point to get back to the city quite often (laughs) as soon as things are opened up again, because that's what I I love to do. And then I would love to go grab a coffee from a local coffee shop. So, you know, there's many of those days in my future when things open up and I'll really look forward to my time back in the city. (laughs) I'm sure I think in the next couple of months, well, I don't know if I'm being hopeful or optimistic, but (laughs) I would imagine that in the next couple of months, things will slowly start changing. Yeah. 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 I think so too. And final question I have for you, since I feel like you have done a little bit of traveling, where is the best place you've ever visited, traveled, or, you know, if you could move anywhere, where would that be? Um, I had the privilege of, um, (laughs) You're going to laugh, but essentially in college, there was this class 
and it was a class under the sciences. So it was a um, class that, um, you know, a biochem or an environment student would take. And I had to take a biochem uh, environment class because I needed a lab credit. And so I saw this class and it was weird. It was like uh, sustainability in agriculture in the Pyrenees region in south of France. <laughs> And I was like, okay. And so I it made sure it had that lab credit and it did have the lab credit. And so I reached out to the professor and I said, hey, I, I need to take a lab class. Your class seems fun. It also is saying that you guys are, you know, this class is in the south of France. Like, did I read that correctly? And he goes like, yeah, like it's a class that I'm doing like in the summer, it's in the south of France. We're gonna be studying about the sustainability and agriculture of like olive farming, wine cultivation. Oh and I was like, really? Yes. Like, are, you, are you for real? Sign and on top me up. of that, he said, there's a grant so you can get a scholarship and uh, everything is paid for if you get that. And I was like, okay, wow, crazy. And so I applied for the scholarship, got the scholarship. I didn't have to pay for this class. It was for the summer and it was oh um, I think almost two months. So that was the best place I've ever got. I would have never gone to the South belt of France. So you had to take a train from Barcelona and it was a three hours uh, train ride in the Pyrenees region. And it was the most like magical small town Um like I've ever seen and been part of like it was very slow it felt like a time travel almost because yeah. they didn't have like the technologically like the tech that I was used to or seeing in bigger urban cities um it was just like a town that was just left untouched by tech which was great right um and it was tucked under these mountains and there was like olive growing in every part of like the houses there was cherries and again, wine cultivation. So um, I don't even know if we studied about the sustainability <laughs> of like the wine cultivation around the Pyrenees region, but I did drink a lot of wine. We did taste a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, vinegar and oil. Um, but again, if I could go back, I would love to kind of go back um, and enjoy that again. Um, yeah. But yeah. That sounds amazing. And <laughs> yeah, looking back on my university experience, I'm like, why didn't I do something yeah. like that? <laughs> you had to go and we had to like search another field, right? It wasn't like yeah. my economics, mathematical field that was uh, having those classes. So that was, um, and hats off to our college, essentially, like, you know, they were so creative in like having these, creating these courses that took us outside of Colorado um, yeah. and allowed us to really immerse in that local uh, region to learn about different things, right? So yeah, incredible mm. course. They never offered it after that year. <laughs> <laughs> you got so, lucky, but you're right. That. Like changes of scenery, traveling gives us so much perspective. And even though you may not have studied sustainability necessarily, I'm sure you learned so much more in that you know few months that you were there than you could have just sitting in a classroom so i think that's absolutely i mean yeah. whenever the world goes back to normal um i keep on saying that right for almost everything no whenever me we too. go back to normal i'm gonna do this 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 but yeah i would love to be able to travel i think that would be probably the one of the few places that i would love to just kind of book a spontaneous trip um yep. and do like a backpacking trip around europe mm. That sounds amazing. Well, hopefully I can join you for that because that sounds majestic. <laughs> um, 
but you know, in wrapping this up, I just want to say thank you for being so open and honest and vulnerable. I think, you know, for our listeners, just to hear a story like yours and to be inspired that we can chase our dreams. And if that involves moving or asking for what we want or just chasing something that feels bigger than ourselves, it is possible. And I think you've kind of shown that to us through your storytelling today. So thank you so much for being on the show. And we wish you all the best as you continue to push boundaries and especially as you create your incredible platform uh, for women looking for mentorship and support. So thank you for being on the show. Thanks so much, Kelsey. Again, thank you for providing this platform for me to share my story. I appreciate it. And I love what you're so welcome. You're welcome back anytime, by the way. So maybe we'll do this in a year or two and and catch up and see where you're at. (laughs) Sounds good. There you have it, my conversation with Nia Katri. So a few things that I would love to double tap on. So number one, sometimes starting a company can be as simple as creating a shared Google Doc and distributing it to see who's interested. Nia's newest venture, Six Feet Closer, which you heard about in the show, started with one document and a solution to the challenge that so many women were facing, especially in the rise of the global pandemic. Not saying it was easy for her and her co-founder, but sometimes it can be simple, just gathering the people, getting that Google Doc out there, and sometimes the rest starts to fall into place. The second thing is that allyship in the workplace is what is going to advance the culture of inclusion, especially in male-dominated industries like Nia's industry of tech. As allies, it is all of our jobs to see ways that we can amplify various voices and to challenge any dated policies that you might see in your workplace or to just stand up for equality any chance you get. And I know that the world will be a better place because of this collective voice when we all rise up. And the third thing is that curiosity is your best friend. Um, This is something that I preach a lot, being the most interested person in the room, not the most interesting, and curiosity as a key way to advance your success. So asking questions, being interested, and expressing a genuine curiosity in others in order to foster relationships is such a great way to move your career forward. And really just getting in the room with people you admire, uh, asking them all the questions because people loved to be asked questions is often a great way to deepen those relationships. So thank you, Nia. I look forward to meeting you and I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis, so it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show in your iTunes app. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Kelsey Rydell. I'll catch you in the next episode. P.S. Whenever you're ready, there's a couple of ways that I can support you. So first thing, if you're ready to make your first or next $50,000 in business, explore how the Visionary Method business coaching experience can accelerate your growth. There'll be a link in the show notes. Also, if you're feeling lost, confused, or overwhelmed when it comes to starting an online business, reach out and book a free revision call with me. I'll offer you customized recommendations on how to get unstuck so you can live a life filled with joy, happiness, and fulfillment.